You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Mill, credential reporter, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. The Heat were facing the Orlando Magic for the third time in four days, and they would once again be without Bam Adebayo. He's missing his fourth straight game with a knee injury. Miami started off the game pretty well. They were doubling Nikola Vucevic, Orlando's only realistic point of offense. They were missing Aaron Gordon. They were missing all their key players. Evan Fournier continues to be out of the lineup for the Magic, so they didn't have a reliable score. It was clear that they were going to go to Vooch early on, and Miami was able to capitalize on that. They were doubling Vooch, forcing everybody else in that starting lineup to try and come up with some kind of offense. And he were able to force 23 turnovers throughout the game, including seven from Vucevic himself, but he would later have his revenge. I'll talk about that later in this segment, because as good as Miami's defense was, their offense was just as bad in the first half. Nearly everyone was struggling with their shot, and I mean everyone. Kendrick Nunn has seemed to regress from the point he was at just a couple of weeks ago before the All-Star break. It seemed to be a recurring pattern for him where the All-Star break just seems to expose whatever issues there are with Kendrick shooting. Unfortunately, he finished with just three points, one of nine overall from the field. Duncan Robinson continues to struggle offensively, five of 14 overall. Goran Dragic, just one game after wound up having 20 points in the fourth quarter in a win over the Chicago Bulls. He finished with just three, one of 11 shooting on the night, including a lot of those shots coming early on in the first half when Miami needed him to carry that offense with Jimmy Butler resting because he was doing so much defensively. Again, something I'll talk about later on in the show. Only two players scored double digits in the first half for Miami. That would be Kelly Olenek and Tyler Hero. Each had 10 in the first half. Miami had a slim three-point lead at halftime, and then the Heat had the lead throughout the whole game until Nikola Vucevic caught fire in the third quarter. He finished with 17 of his 38 points in the period. Just looked unbelievable. I I don't know if Heat fans are just kind of seeing Vooch for the first time. It was an interesting podcast that he recently had as a guest of J.J. Redick, who I'd totally forgotten was a brief teammate of his with the Orlando Magic before he was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks when they acquired Vucevic uh, after the Dwight Mayer ended years ago. And it... Vucevic was talking about how he's he's persevered in Orlando, how he's just largely been ignored because they haven't won a lot of games. And that's true. When you associate the Magic, uh, your first thoughts are of a mediocre team that just hasn't been able to accomplish anything. They recently made the playoffs for two years straight. Before that, they had missed it for, I think, six or seven seasons. And unfortunately, Vucevic and his growth as a player was just largely ignored. He was their best player on a bad team, and nobody really considered it because they didn't win many games, and he was never quite electric enough. It's not like Bradley Beal putting up monster numbers in Washington kind of thing. This is Vucevic having 25 points a night, 22 points, maybe 17 points a night, and adding six, seven assists and 12 rebounds. Those aren't flashy numbers. You know, it's kind of like Bam. If Bam was on a really bad team and, and just playing by himself uh, as far as not having the kind of talent around him that he does in Miami, it might be something similar where it's just this overall game, although Adebayo is a far superior defender. I, I'm I'm kind of going in here. I digress a little bit talking about Vucevic because it's just I'm glad to see him get his due. 
I don't think he's a realistic trade target for Miami. This is not that kind of tangent. I can hear you all listening, even as you're just paying attention to me talking about Vucevic and just thinking, yeah, he'd be great in Miami. They're they're not moving him. Like he's committed to such a, a he's committed to that team through so many different iterations with different coaches. He's had five different head coaches there. I mean, we all forget Frank Vogel, uh, you know, Jacques Vaughn, James Borrego. Scott Skiles, those were all coaches. I'm probably missing a couple during his tenure. Hell, he was he coached for I think he played for Stan Van Gundy too, when I think about it. There's just been so many different coaches during Vucevic's tenure there. And they just haven't they had Victor Oladipo there. Uh they had Serge Ibaka there for a minute and a half. Like so many different things that have gone on and gone wrong for the Magic. And he's been there throughout them. Like he hasn't demanded a trade. Maybe he just doesn't feel like he has that kind of leverage. But I don't think he's going to do it now anyway. He's had two kids there with his wife. I think they're happy there. And that kind of wellness should be a focus for players. Like, I can understand why they'd want to win. I don't know why they'd want to win at all costs and sacrifice all the other positives in their life. They have friends there. He and Evan Fournier are really great friends. I think he trusts Clifford as a coach. They've just – he's grown there as a player – been named to two different all-star games those kinds of things matter off the court and so I'd have to say that unless things get really really bad and the the reality is that they probably would have been a very good team certainly a playoff team this year if they had managed to stay healthy with Markel Fultz and Mobamba and Jonathan Isaac and all the other different players that have just lost time due to injury if they had managed to stay healthy they'd probably be a pretty good maybe not a, a legitimately title contending team but they'd still be a solid playoff team. There's a chance for that next year. I mean, that's the realistic goal for him. He can just postpone. He can just wait. He doesn't have to demand a trade. That's the only way that they would send Vucevic elsewhere is if he goes into that front office and talks to Alex Martins and says, you know what? I'm out. I, I, I want to get out of here. I want to I want to be traded from this team. And if that's the case, maybe they'll try and find a, a way to accommodate him. But he'd probably want to go to a legitimate contender or any team that could throw in a huge amount of assets and players in order to acquire a guy like Vucevic, a two-time all-star who is one of the most underrated players in the league. So I just don't think Miami gets it done this year as much as I'd like to see it happen personally. But back to the game itself, again, Vucevic just lighting Miami on fire in the third quarter. And they also added Terrence Ross in there just for good measure, a guy who a lot of players, a lot of fans think is a random scrub heat killer. Well, he was dangerous tonight. He finished with a season-high 31 points, including 12 in the fourth. Magic had their biggest lead of the night with just over eight to play and then a slim lead with four minutes left. But the Heat closed the game with a 12-5 run in which the Magic totally discombobulated and five different Heat players all scored. Jimmy Butler, Kelly Olenek, Andre Iguodala, uh, Tyler Hero, all of them chipping in and just contributing in some way to a Miami Heat win. Andre Iguodala, who I'll talk about later, later on, I think is starting to show more and more value even as the casual fan or maybe even some large pocket of fans devalues what he does. Uh, Eric Spolstra talked about him pregame, talked about him postgame, said an interesting comment uh, in the postgame presser asking you know Heat Media to say, you know, ask the players in that locker room how much they want Andre Iguodala out there in the fourth quarter. And I think that was a pretty telling statement because that's just that's Andre at 37 years old having the respect of the locker room, knowing that he's going to come up big. He played 28 minutes in the game. Like that's ridiculous at his age to be playing that much. 26 minutes, excuse me. He only had three points in a game. 
That three-pointer during that 12-5 to run there, huge momentum shifting. He continues to body up bigger opponents. He continues to have that perfect defensive mood where he swipes the ball down. He, he just has his timing a la Anthony Mason down pat where he just brings that chop down and manages to knock the ball out even when he's going up against a big. That's why he's able to be so effective. Not only is he strong enough and still putting his body through the grind where he's just challenging these bigger players, but he can force them into turnovers. And we saw that on a number of occasions. Tonight he also made that he's made that impact throughout his tenure in Miami. Continues to be a valuable player. It's it's just hard to evaluate Iguodala properly because he just winds up having this positive impact. And then you look at the stat sheet and it's not so positive and doesn't stand out in any way. And I also worry about relying so heavily on a 37-year-old to come up this big, which is if Miami is still going to make a move, it's probably going to be in the front court. I just I think Avery Bradley comes back at some point. Myers Leonard out for the season. And because of that, you're going to need somebody, even if it's just a bench player, even if it's somebody else, even if it's a noted veteran like Ayla Marcus Aldridge, who keeps being linked to Miami, that's somebody who's going to be able to contribute off the bench more than anything else, just to give Andre Iguodala a break, because he can't he can't keep doing this at 37. It's just not realistic. You don't want to rely on Andre coming up big. But look, as far as tonight's game is concerned, Miami had Jimmy Butler. That was the difference. It was such a strange game because, again, it, it never quite felt like Miami was out of it. They had the the lead, uh, a pretty sizable lead in the second quarter, and then Orlando closed the period out, I think, on a 9-0 run, kept coming back, challenging Miami. It just never felt like they were going to really lose the lead until they did. And then it took this incredible effort from Jimmy Butler. And that's the difference. He was able, able and willing to carry that team in a way that, so few players can around the league. 29 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, 5 steals, 1 block, only 1 turnover. 20 of his 29 points in a second half. What a phenomenal effort from him. They also had a really big showing from Kelly Olenek. 18 points, 3 steals, 2 blocks, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 of 6 on 3-pointers. I don't know when this run is going to end for Kelly, but I'm glad that other people are starting to see what this is, what he's capable of. Because I feel like it's been this long-standing joke where you kind of ignore the good parts of Kelly when you just focus on whatever the bad is. But he looked great defensively today. He did so against Chicago. He did so against the Magic earlier this week. He just continues to look like an effective player on both sides of the ball. He's getting blocks. He's been aggressive defensively in a way that maybe we haven't seen at any other point throughout his Heat tenure. Offensively, he just looks incredible, obviously. I think he's shooting very well and making the right play. But he's rotating on defense. He's forcing turnovers, getting blocks, stymied Nikola Vucevic at one point. That's no easy feat. And for Olenek to be able to handle his own that way against bigs and ball handlers, pretty impressive stuff. They also got a pretty good showing from Tyler Hero. He was listed as questionable before the game because he had a, a nagging shoulder injury that apparently had flared up or worsened over the last couple of games. But he wound up playing anyway, responded big, going 8 of 16 overall, 4 of 8 from three, he finished with 22 points, including 10 in that tightly contested fourth. So without Tyler, without Jimmy, certainly a Miami Heat loss, but they're able to get contributions from so many other players, even when a couple of guys did not find a way to step up tonight. Casey Okpala started the game in place of Bam Adebayo, had some really nice moments. Perhaps his best game as a Heat player, look, you, you can go back to that Toronto Raptors preseason game earlier this year where he looked really dominant, but I think overall just looked 
like a better version of even that player. He looked fluid, willing to take the shot, put the ball down, drove baseline at one time. It just looked really smooth out there. Didn't seem as lost as he has on other occasions. When it's finished four of eight from the field, oh from three. Zero of three from three-point range, so unfortunately wasn't able to connect with the long ball, but did still add eight points and some phenomenal defensive play. Forced a, a turnover and with a steal and then had a transition basket there where he just he looked like the player that we had seen either in the G League or even before that in Stanford. And he's just showing more and more growth. I'll talk a little bit more about Okpala in the last segment when I answer some of your listener questions, but it was just nice to see him out there. Again, I already talked about Iguodala and that positive impact. I think we're going to continue to see that sporadically throughout the rest of the season. It's unfortunate that, again, they have to rely on a 37-year-old for that kind of production, but that's just a reality. Goran Dragic, that's the bad of tonight's game, that he struggled after going for such igniting the way he did in the fourth quarter against the Bulls. And, and there was nothing that the Magic were doing to limit what Dragic could do. This wasn't like they were challenging him. A lot of those shots were wide open. He just – look, it, it made me feel foolish – because against the Magic, the previous win before the Bulls game, I had talked about the Goran Dragic injury, whether or not it was going to be a long-term concern. And I said it was. And, of course, the next game on the second night of back-to-back, winds up having 20 points in the fourth quarter, sealing the game for Miami and looking like an all-star player. Then he struggles the very next night. I, I take no pride in being the guy to say, I just think this is who Goran is going to be for the rest of his career. Like You're not going to be able to count on him consistently. And certainly not during the regular season. Does he have another run in him the way he did in the Orlando bubble? Probably. And that might be the last gasp for his player, for his him as a player. Again, never having relied too much on athleticism, he can find a way to persevere. He can find a way to continue to contribute. He's just not going to be so reliable that you want him to be the centerpiece of your offense or even relying on him to be as major a contributor as he was against the Bulls. And unfortunately, just didn't show it tonight against the Magic either. Kendrick Nunn, I don't know what's going on with his struggles. He's going to continue to start even when Avery Bradley does return to the lineup. Precious Achua and Chris Silva are stuck here in this very odd situation where Eric Spolstra immediately went to Chris Silva, gave him some playing time, and Silva picked up three fouls like within a second. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before in my life. He wound up playing... A total of two minutes and picked up two fouls. But I think I could have sworn he was charged with almost a third there. But he just seemed largely ineffective. And so Eric Spolster took him out and then put Precious Chua at Chua. And so Chua is coming in after Silva in the rotation, which is a little surprising. And once Chua did bounce in, he looked solid. He played 12 overall minutes, only finished with two points. I think this seems to me... And again, I'm not reporting anything because it's hard to when I don't see the team as regularly as I once did, and I'm certainly not allowed into practices. This seems kind of like Achua, maybe he made a mistake somewhere, behind the scenes, somewhere in practice sessions or something like that. And it kind of gets that feeling from me about tearing you down to build you back up. A very militaristic approach to things where they just want to change you at a fundamental level. And they want to get him to focus on the things that they want him to focus on. That, they can, that he can find a way to apply his overall talent, athleticism, bounce, drive, whatever you want to call it. And apply it towards heat principles of defense in particular. I think that's where I'm kind of getting that vibe from. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure what led to this change here because Achua had been playing a lot of time there and all of a sudden he wasn't for no reason. We're again, we're not getting any reporting from anywhere. I haven't been able to see anything myself. I don't know what the issue might be. So there's a concern there. 
I, I hope he's going to be able to find a way to bounce back because he had been a bright spot for most of the season and, and leading in some rookie categories early on. Unfortunately, I think those numbers are going to continue to drop, especially if Chris Silva keeps getting some impact and some minutes there. And look, this isn't to take away from Silva either. I think they need him to show something in year two of this experiment with him. Like He's certainly a high-energy guy. I can understand that. You know what? I'll, I'll save the Silva conversation for later because somebody did ask me about him. Overall, my thoughts are it's a good win. It's it's a great win because, you know, you won, what is it, 14? Uh, no, 11 of 15 games or something like that. Uh, just an incredible number from Miami to be able to bounce back the way they have. And they're showing that they can knock off inferior opponents, something that I wasn't sure about earlier in the season, especially not with Jimmy Butler out of the lineup. So, for them to be able to perform at a high level, to find a way to win, to incorporate Jimmy as well as he has been, for him to play at another level, incredible game. Really solid showing. And to do so without an all-star level player like Bam Adebayo, who hopefully will come back soon and be able to return to full health. But what about Jimmy? I see more and more people talking about something I mentioned last week that I really do think Jimmy Butler belongs in the MVP con uh, conversation. I'll talk about that in the next segment, as well as answering the question as to whether or not this is realistic. Is Miami back to being a legitimate title contender, or is this winning streak all a mirage? I'll talk about it here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, just be better? Well, there is, and if you have 10 minutes... Headspace can change your life. Headspace is a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. It's the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, they've got a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, I did. I use Headspace. It helped me wind down and just it was a great place for me to be able to calm down and just learn a little bit more and relax. I used to love meditation when I was younger. My, Headspace really got me back into it. And it was also great as a parent. I find that Headspace has morning meditations that you can do with your kids just to help them relax, breathe. Like You hate to think about kids being stressed out and anxious, but with everything going on in the world around us, they're a lot more empathetic than we give them credit for. They can feel these things. And so sometimes it's important for them to just calm down, stay relaxed, practice some breathing techniques. Headspace really helps with all of that. They're backed by 25 published studies on their benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. It's pretty good. And over 60 million downloads. So make it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happiness. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash NBA. That's headspace.com slash NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. It's the best deal offered right now, so go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA today. And once you're done feeling relaxed, if you want to make a little money, go to Bet Online. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football is over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. They even cover awards and TV shows, reality TV, whatever you can think of. Real-time updated odds, props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and best of all, it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. Mm -hmm. 
March Madness is here, and that means bracket challenges. So join our Locked On Listener Bracket Challenge group on ESPN. Submit your March Madness picks, beat your favorite hosts, and if you win, you will get a guest appearance on Locked On Today, our daily news podcast. That's great. The link to join us is in the show notes of this episode, so get your picks in today. I went a little long in that first segment talking about everything that happened with Vucevic and, of course, Jimmy Butler. And I did want to get into that a little bit more because the the, the talk about Jimmy as MVP, as a worthy MVP candidate, I think is starting to build. And I think it's deserving. I also don't think it's going anywhere. I hate to quantify anything so quickly, but just the reality is he's so far behind in total minutes played because of the three weeks he missed. And it's a little unfortunate. I, I just... Look, the Heat is 17-8 and eight with Jimmy Butler in the lineup. And that was considering a couple early losses, including against the season opener with the same Orlando Magic knocking off Miami. But they're 4-10 and 10 without Jimmy. Now, some of those numbers, clearly a little misleading because they were without Jimmy. They were also without Tyler. They were without Bam. They were without Goron. They had that zombie Heat lineup against the Philadelphia 76ers for two straight games where Max Struess was starting. And it's just... They've gone through so much here. They have not had a fully healthy roster at any point this season. But Jimmy makes this team better. He changes the course of the game single-handedly, offensively, defensively. I've talked about it a number of times in my years of podcasting or writing. To me, the definition of a superstar is that player, somebody who can change the game on both sides of the floor. Dwayne had it. LeBron certainly had it. I think Jimmy has it. I think Zoe had it to an extent because he was so good defensively that it more than made up for whatever limitations he had offensively. And this was a different era, too. I think in today's era, you'd see a lot more 25-foot jump shots, 24-foot jump shots from Alonzo Morning. He'd be a stretch five at his size and able to still provide defensively all the things that he did, the tenacity, the shots, and everything else. I also look at Jimmy and what he can do, what he did tonight against the Magic, what he's been doing since his return. Now he's healthy. Jumping off, uh, jumping up for the, the tip at the start of the game just looks like he's having fun out there. Like he's energized. He's playing well. He's getting the recognition he deserves. He is, for all the concerns I might have had early in the season, and I, I will take full ownership of that, I thought he was, I thought he was going to be limited. I didn't know what version of Jimmy would get during the regular season. I always thought that he had the capacity for turning it up a notch the way he did in the Orlando bubble. But he's been consistently great this year. I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if he's taking just amount, the right amount of time off. This is why I'm glad he didn't go to that stupid all-star event in Atlanta either because he needs the rest. And it's shown up. Like He's, he's proven that he's refreshed and playing well. He's giving an incredible effort. Like, you know, that, that was never in doubt. But that it's translating into overall defensive plays. He's making the right play offensively as well. You know, the shot is still a bit of a struggle, but he's getting to the line. He's controlling the pace of a game. So when you measure his MVP candidacy against, to me, the only other worthy candidate really is Nikola Jokic. I feel like the injury to Joel Embiid is going to take him further out of this discussion. He's going to miss the same amount of time Jimmy did. You wonder what's going to happen to the 76ers in their absence. If they continue to win, to me, that's indicative that Embiid is not the MVP. Uh, Maybe it's overly simplistic. There's no right answer here when it comes to this. This is all totally subjective. Jokic is a fantastic player, a great passer, great shooter, fantastic scorer that just doesn't take 
as many shots as he possibly could. He could probably be much more dominant. I remember a couple of postseasons ago watching Jokic carry the team to the Western Conference Finals and thinking to myself, this is it. This is the turn for him. And then he takes a bit of a step back. Like the regular season Joker is not that version that we saw in the playoffs a couple of years ago. It doesn't have to be. And he's still very, very good. Now, he's not as good defensively as Jimmy is. He doesn't give that two-way effort the same way that Jimmy does. Embiid is a good MV, uh, you know, defensive candidate. He's a very good defensive player. He's also very good offensively. I, I it's just It's so hard to weigh any of these things. You've got LeBron James playing well there, even though they're struggling. You've got... Yeah, I saw Kumpo flying under the radar somehow in Milwaukee, even though he's played phenomenally well and putting up the same numbers he did when he was a two-time MVP. You've got three guys in Brooklyn who are playing really well. A lot of great players. I feel like, look, he's he should make anyway. More importantly than MVP, let's just say he needs to make an all-NBA team because he didn't last year. He probably deserved it. This year, he absolutely has to be named. It. Like, there's just no player nearly as impactful as Jimmy Butler is. Like, he is in a category on his own. Top five, certainly, when it comes to MVP candidates, I think. Maybe it's tough to quantify that. Even as I'm saying that you've got guys in Brooklyn and Giannis and everybody else playing well, I still throw in the fact that he's a top five player because I just I feel that strongly about Jimmy's impact. Like, you, we see this night in and night out when he goes onto the floor, just does everything well, helps carry this team, slows the pace down, Gets to the line, changes things offensively, certainly makes an impact defensively, makes the right play. I don't, I don't know. What else can you say about a valuable player? And certainly the team's most valuable player. No knock to Bam, but just a different level of play. My other concern is as this win streak goes on and as Miami continues to find ways to knock off these opponents, that somebody out there on the national media scale is certainly going to start challenging whether or not these wins are legitimate. I can see the argument. I'm not going to lie. They've won 13 of 17 games. And I'll go through the quote-unquote murderer's row here of wins over that 17-game stretch. They beat the Wizards to start it off. The Knicks twice. The Rockets when it was the beginning of the end for them. Then there were three straight losses to the Jazz, Clippers, and Warriors. At least two of which, which probably should have been wins and could have been. They fell apart against the Clippers. They fell apart in OT against the Warriors. They got blown out by the Jazz, even though that was a different scenario. I don't think they were prepared to win in Utah. Then they go to Sacramento, win there, beat the Lakers, beat the Thunder, Raptors, Jazz, and Hawks. Of course, then they lose to the Hawks in Nate McMillan's first game as head coach after they fired Lloyd Pierce. They beat the Pelicans before the All-Star break. They've been the Magic twice and the Bulls sandwiched in between there on the second night of a back-to-back. Now, all these teams, almost all these teams, are missing key players. The Hawks, I think, were fairly intact, although maybe they, they were missing a couple of players here and there. They had gotten Bogdan Bogdanovich back. The Pelicans were missing a couple of players. Zion Williamson was out. Anthony Davis out for the Lakers. Even the Clippers... Missing four of their starters. I could see the argument as to why you want to challenge the validity of these wins. But they're necessary for every team. And I don't think you're going to look at whether or not these wins quote-unquote matter 
for any other team as they're advancing in the standings. I think Miami's been missing players of their own, and they've still managed to find a way to beat these teams when necessary. I could say that maybe these aren't great signature wins, but they beat the Lakers in L.A. They beat a a full complement of the Raptors team. Welcoming back Kyle Lowry, having a, a great game, if I recall correctly, and then knocking off the Jazz later on that same week. Those are good wins. Those are good wins. The Pelicans are playing well, even though they were missing Zion before the All-Star break, and I totally get it. The Magic are the Magic, a shell of a team. But you have to continue to beat these teams. Look, the Bulls are in the playoff seating. Hunt, you know, and Miami still find a way to knock them off too. You know, it's just a win is a win is a win, especially during this season. At the end of it, no one's going to care whether or not they were good, quote-unquote good wins or bad wins, or whether or not they were missing a key player. You're going to look at a win against the Lakers. You're not going to say, well, if I recall correctly, Anthony Davis was out. You still beat LeBron James in Los Angeles. That counts for something. And they're getting better, and they're getting healthier, and they're getting impacts from other players on this roster. That has to matter. Like I feel like it's just going to continue to add – to Miami's chances at building towards something in the playoffs. Like, I'll get into your list of questions because I don't think there's any specific or definitive answer as to whether or not these wins are good or not. They're wins. Miami is three games over 500 after being below 500 all season. They look phenomenal. They look like a really solid team that's playing well offensively, defensively. They're making the right plays. Yeah, they still struggle on both sides on occasion. What team doesn't? You're missing one of your best defensive players in Avery Bradley. You're certainly missing one of your best two-way players, one of the best two-way players in a game in Bam Adebayo. Think about that. You still managed to get over 500 without Bam over the last four games. All four wins, by the way. This is a good team. They've always been a good team. They were missing their best player in Jimmy Butler. They've been missing key players throughout the whole season. But this was always a good team. I'm glad you all stuck with it. I don't know if it was listening to this podcast. I'd like to take some credit for it, but I don't really think that uh, I was able to guide you in the dark uh, during those really, really dark times a couple of weeks ago when they were on that West Coast road trip and losing bad games in overtime. Those were those were dark times, but I'm glad you're all here at the other end of it because it's uh, been an impressive turnaround. But I still have questions, or you have questions, and I'll have answers, hopefully, in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. We've been telling you about Built Bar. You know all about it. It's the best-tasting protein bar in the market. You've known about it for a while now. Amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar. 100% chocolate on all their bars. And now's the time to find out which Built Bar is best because it's Built Bar Madness. Today's matchup, an exciting one. Another tough one for me, i got to be honest with you. This is Salted Caramel versus Cookie Dough Chunk. Those are really good flavors there, and I, I couldn't. If I had to lean one, I'd probably go with the cookie dough chunk. I mean, even describing this, like you think to yourself you're eating a candy bar with that kind of name, cookie dough chunk, but that's the whole point, is to think you're eating something bad for you, and you're not. You're eating something that's actually delicious and filled with all the nutrients you need. That's the whole point. You don't even know you're eating a protein bar, but you're tasting something delicious and something that's good for you too. So make sure you continue to follow along Go to BuiltBar.com or go to at 
built underscore bar on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code locked on locked 15, excuse me, to get 15% off your next order. That's locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar of them all. Dave Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. How much do you really know about these potential NBA stars of tomorrow? If you want to know more, you need to subscribe to Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. It's tough, let me tell you. The draft is not an easy market to figure out. Drafts, NBA drafts. Twitter or whatever have you, the, the experts who watch these games so closely. What a thankless job that is because you can get right on a couple players. You can see something in maybe a late first or even a late second round pick and say, no, this guy has talent. Look at a guy like Desmond Bain. I, I just like Desmond's intangibles, and he's finding a way to thrive in Memphis. But the, the ability of a player, especially a rookie, to show up might not even happen right away. It could be years. Like Precious Achua could be an all NBA player in five years. But right now, maybe some NBA draft guy is saying, oh, you didn't do a very good job analyzing what Achua could do. Even though last season, a lot of people thought that the Achua draft was a quote unquote steal. Anyway, on to some of your questions. I'll try to get through this quickly. Todd writes in, how much better could we have been this year with a fully healthy team all year long? Look, I, Todd, I, great question. I've been pretty consistent in saying I think this team is actually better than last year's. They're missing something for the postseason because you still need a four that's switchable, like Jay, who can provide that three-point shooting like Jay Crowder. That's not on the roster. I like what Kelly can do. I just don't trust that Kelly's going to be able to do it consistently during the playoffs, especially in a seven-game series, when what you're looking for basically is consistency. Like Crowder's shooting was an aberration. Like He was never going to be that good that consistently but he did have a really, really long run where he was that good. And that was enough. That was enough for Miami to continue to dr- to go deep into the playoffs until the wheels fell off and all of a sudden Crowder reverted to the player that he had been all along. And by that point, you still knew what you were getting from him defensively and he contributed even as guys like Tyler and Bam and Duncan and others were finding ways to make up the slack offensively. So this team could have been much better. I think they would not be a top four team for very long, I think there's just I think the talent in Philadelphia and Milwaukee and certainly in Brooklyn is higher than Miami's. I just I think Miami's built for what they showed us last year that they're a good playoff team that can be the best team on the floor even if they don't have the best quote unquote talent. Philly Heat writes in, who is better, prime Michael Jordan or Terrence Ross versus Miami? That's a legitimate question considering he had a season high against Miami. I, I looked at the numbers. I was curious. If you check out the splits on Terrence Ross, who's a fine guy, fun to, player to talk to, uh, good comic book lover too, something that I, I found interesting. I think he calls himself the or has been called the human torch because he ignites so quickly. So uh, a little known fact there because of his uh, appreciation for the Fantastic Four and all things comic book related. But his numbers don't really stand out. For whatever reason, he just feels like he's been crushing Miami. They're actually around his career average. He averages 11.3 points per game for his career, exactly what he averages against Miami in 31 
career matchups, including his stint in Toronto and in Orlando. So it's just he's never really shown up. Maybe I have to limit it to what his Orlando playing games were because those seemed like they were particularly incendiary. He's not shooting particularly well from three either, 37% from three-point range on a night like tonight when he's shooting, I don't know, a million percent. It's hard to kind of say that's a 37% shooter. Like Terrence Ross went eight of 13 from three-point range against Miami. That's that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, it's just it's a hard pill to swallow for the Heat, and uh, I understand. Look, uh, certainly not better than probably Michael Jordan, but he's certainly a problem for Miami. So that's something to consider. He is on the trade market. Unlike Vucevic, he is being shopped around. So it would be interesting to see if the team takes a flyer on not a two-way player. He's not, I think, somebody that Miami would have any interest in, although he's shown certainly the capacity to light this team up in the future. If he's getting traded anywhere, I hope it's to the Western Conference. He's been the team he's actually scored highest as far as his career averages are concerned. The Golden State Warriors. So if you're looking to knock off the Warriors, Terrence Ross is your guy. So Lakers fans, start clamoring now for the human torch. Christian Espinosa writes in, has Jimmy ever been better? Yeah, yeah, he has. I kind of hate to say it. He had run fantastic season there in Chicago when he was becoming just the best player on that roster. It was the 2000-2016-17 era the first year and only year of Chicago of uh, Dwayne Wade's brief Chicago Bulls tenure. And I guess he was able to help inspire Jimmy to another level, another performance there. Because as good as Jimmy had been before that, making the All-Star team, he got even better when he was in that year in Chicago. It just became a legitimate star. Uh, wound up having just higher numbers in all aspects of the game. Making plays, shooting the ball significantly better in 2016-17. He was averaging 3.3 attempts from three-point range and shot almost 37%. Those days, likely over, unfortunately. Now he's shooting half that many attempts, and he's shooting 23% on those. So uh, he was getting to the line as much or even a little bit more than he had last year when he averaged a career-high nine attempts per game. So he, he was... Just as good as ever offensively and defensively, you know he was always going to contribute. Uh, points per game averages, you know, pretty simple, 24 points per game. So he was a potent scorer, great defender, great passing. But look, it didn't mean anything. Like that team limped into the playoffs. I think the magic fell apart towards the end. And certainly the Heat, what am I talking about? The Heat fell apart that same season too. That was 41 and 41, wasn't it? With no Dwayne Wade there and Tyler Johnson and – Josh Richardson as your best players. Goran Dragic, Deion Waiters, Hurts that same year. Uh, Miami didn't make the playoffs, and Chicago did. They wound up challenging Boston early on, so everybody started looking to pile on to the Boston Celtics and saying they were frauds to begin with. But uh, then Rajon Rondo gets hurt, and uh, Boston winds up coming back and, and, and knocking them off pretty easily in that first round there. So that was... Yeah, Dwayne did not look good in a Bulls uniform. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, AJ writes in, how well, with how well, excuse me, KZ looked tonight, does that solidify him a role when Bam returns defensively his best game in a Heat uniform? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't think so. I'd love to say that there's a role for him moving forward, that Precious is gone or out of the rotation or Chris Silva certainly out of the rotation. Where do you find time for KZ Okpala? Once Bam comes back, where does that leave him? Is he going to be the starting four in place of Kelly Olenek? I don't think so. Like He's a nice defensive addition, but I trust Kelly's shooting, as inconsistent as it is, certainly much more than Opala's ability to occasionally get to the hoop. I mean, you're looking at Al-Farouk Amino uh, 
and Nikola Vucevic, neither of which are great defenders at this point in their career. And if Okwala is able to get past them, kudos. But it's a little different to do so against Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac or other players that were out of tonight's rotation for Orlando. So I just I don't know that Okpala has turned that corner. I love that he's growing and showing signs of growth. That's all you can hope for. He's a second-year player, probably still a year or two away from reaching, if not a peak, at least the point where you can say, okay, he's actually good. You're looking for immediate impact on a team that doesn't need him to be immediately impactful. And that's why it's so hard. Like You're looking at players' lottery picks from this past year. What's the, all, the thing that they have in common? They got drafted by bad teams. So when they're plugged into these situations, yeah, they're going to put up big numbers. LaMelo Ball is an aberration is that he's putting up decent numbers on a team that's not relying on him. If they're winning, it's because of Gordon Hayward. It's because of Terry Rozier. You know, they've, they've had a, a full complement of players chip in. Devontae Graham. It's great that LaMelo is finding a way to thrive as well and that he's having the occasional good game. But we're kind of glossing over whatever weaknesses and weak spots there are in his game because they continue to win, not because of him, but despite him. And for a player like Okpala, who Miami's so good and so deep that he can be an afterthought, there's a lot of frustration from Heat fans. I just don't expect him to turn it around anytime soon. I just want him to continue to get some playing time, and I just don't know how that likely is going to happen. That means that basically either you trade Chua or you confine him to the bench. That's a dangerous risk there, especially considering he was pretty impactful earlier on this season. And I don't know if you want to make that change. I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to hurt your rookie's feelings by saying, you know what, I, I kind of don't want to play you anymore. Which is in effect what they've done over the last couple of games for him. But it's an interesting turnaround of events there. I'm not sure what happens once Bam comes back. And again, unfortunately, we don't have any timeline for Bam's return. Something to continue monitoring. I'm optimistic that this is just a way of giving him rest. Hopefully, he'll come back and be at 100% strength. But, you know, I'll always be at 100% strength. And you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Just if you want to listen to those kinds of incredible transitions, this is the podcast for you. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. Uh, those are kind of tapered off. I know I kind of begging for reviews, but I, I like getting that kind of input. I like seeing people say, you know what, great show or not so great show, or just even respond to me and send me an email or anything like that. You guys did a fantastic job after my show on Myers Leonard responding and sending comments of support and, and saying, you know what, I agree with your show 100%. So those, I really appreciate it. I got a lot of those. So thank you so much for those. But always, if you can, if you haven't done so already, go to iTunes and leave a review there. I'm David Mill signing off and thanking you as always.